Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter or email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Now, welcome back to uh, Tip Today. A lot of people on to us there to commiserate with uh, Josh on what was a very, very uh, difficult situation that he found himself in and uh, hopefully he'll be able to cope with that in uh, the weeks and months to come. But he was talking about his mum there being a tremendous help to him because of her background, I suppose, in uh, social care and the like. Uh, time now to speak about uh, global news and as usual on a Monday, I'm joined by Thomas Conway. Good morning to you, Thomas. Good morning, Fran. Uh, good to talk to you today. Can we start off with the situation in, in Gaza, Thomas, because the aid agencies and uh, the international leaders, uh, they're warning of the catastrophe, uh, the consequences there if he, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu pushes ahead with what he's doing in Rafa, for example, because is it a million people is in? It's a million people all condensed into this small, relatively small city inside the Gaza Strip. We know the Gaza Strip is small anyway, a population of around up to three million prior to the war. Uh, and about a million of these now are caved in in Rafa, and and this is in southern Gaza. This is in southern yeah. Gaza, near the Egyptian border. Yes. People might be asking, will the Egyptians not take in some of these uh, uh, some of these refugees, effectively, who have been displaced to their homes? They have rejected that. The Egyptians do not want the conflict to spill over onto their soil. They're they're adamant that they're not allowing. They'll allow aid in but they're not allowing people out, which is a problem, I think, in itself, because it is an incredibly volatile situation, mm. dangerous situation now. So there's nowhere for these people to go? There's no... Well, Netanyahu has speculated that they can move north to northern territories in Gaza, which in which the fighting has, I suppose, died down. But, I mean, it's not there's a... There's nothing there. I mean... The effectively, has everything has ground. been destroyed. Services, water, access to clean water, access to food. Shocking reports over the weekend of... Uh, children having to use animal feed to eat animal feed, all these kind of atrocious stories coming out of Rafa. And now Netanyahu wants wants to attack Rafa, essentially, uh, launch a ground invasion because Hamas is apparently deeply rooted in there. That may or may not be true. Uh, we can only assume that it probably is, but it is an incredibly precarious situation for the people in... There was that phone call with uh, Biden last night. Um, what, 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 was the res- what was the content of that, by the way? Well, I think Biden's patience is running thin. I was watching it on Sky News last night and by all accounts, I mean, he was urging, urging Netanyahu to take, take a course of action that it did not endanger the lives of civilians. Uh, and, of course, that is exactly... We're up to... In excess of 28,000 people, 28,000 Gazans which have been killed at this stage as a result of the war, that will continue. If this planned invasion of Rafa goes ahead, that will continue to tally upwards. Mm. Uh, The fact that they found two hostages in Rafa, does that in some way in his mind justify what's what's happening? I suppose it's a slight relief, yeah, reports coming this morning that two two hostages have been found uh, in a a Israeli Defence Forces Mm. mission there and obviously, look, that's great news from the perspective of the hostages families, but looking at the broader situation if uh, Israel goes ahead with this ground invasion uh, and, and sends troops into Rafa, it will spell disaster for the citizens there, for the people hiding, or for the people effectively hiding out there. They're they're exposed, uh, they're vulnerable. 
there is nowhere for them to go. They move north and they're moving back into a region where, as we just alluded to, there is nothing really, no services as such. Uh, they can't move anywhere else. Gaza is so small. And what about that opportunity last week? Some of us thought, so maybe there's a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel here, um, in terms of a ceasefire. Yeah. Um, what, what, how did that uh, yeah. get rubbish? Hamas actually outlined quite a comprehensive plan and I read through it and it was surprisingly comprehensive. It was a three-part plan that entailed uh, the release of hostages, first women and children, uh, then subsequently male hostages, uh, and then an end to the fighting. It seemed reasonable, and I don't want to sound like I'm defending mm. Hamas here, I'm not, but it seemed relatively reasonable, but Netanyahu rejected it outright. Uh, there was a complete denial on his part. He seems, and the Israelis seem completely focused on the elimination of Hamas. That is their sole and only objective at this moment in time. They've said they're trying to protect civilians. They've said they're trying to protect civilian lives. The statistics do not weigh up in their favour. I mean, when you look at over 28,000 dead, and, slaughtered. And so many children. And, and so, many. so many children among them. It's yeah. a tragic, tragic situation. It's a really precarious one. And it's, you know, we evidenced by the fact that Anthony Blinken visited last week for five days, that even he couldn't make a breakthrough, that even Biden last night couldn't persuade Netanyahu to change course. So, you know, it's a... It's a bit, it's a bit. And has Netanyahu still got support? He seems in, to in, have. In Israel, and yeah. I mean, there is widespread scepticism of him. Uh, there is widespread rumours that after the war is over, Netanyahu is gone. That is yes. his political career finished. And there seems to be an acceptance there. But there also seems to be an acceptance that he's in situ now, he's in power now, uh, and that he will lead the country through the rest of the war. Uh, there are there are other figures there within the mix, the likes of Benny Gantz, a military uh, military officer. Uh, there are a couple of others there from opposition parties who would be capable of, I think, leading a government. But it seems for now that Netanyahu's position is cemented in, that he will remain leader until such a time as the war concludes. Right, but in the meantime, people are dying, and some people would say dying uh, very much unnecessarily as well. Um, can we move to uh, Pakistan there? And uh, what's been happening where elections are concerned as well, Thomas? Yeah, I mean, this is another very volatile situation. Mm. Just to give people the lowdown, elections, general elections held in Pakistan late last week, uh, a number of parties in the running, two candidates in particular. People will be familiar with Imran Khan, who is the former former cricketer turned playboy model turned prime minister of Pakistan from 2018 until 2022 until he was locked up in jail on corruption charges. Now, he's currently still in prison uh, and his party was banned from running in this election. What they did is they ran as a group of independent candidates, so they're not officially registered under the Pakistani party. It's very interesting, actually, Fran. I came across a piece. Uh, because of the high rate of illiteracy in Pakistan, because of the fact that many people can't read... Khan's party relied on its cricket bat symbol. Now that symbol was then banned from the election so he wasn't allowed to use it and so that threw people, threw the whole vote into disarray. People didn't know because they were effectively illiterate and weren't able to read party candidates' names or party names 
they were dumbfounded. Uh They didn't know what. And uh, do you think that was, uh, did that play an effect? It's being seen as a significant factor. Certainly the BBC, everybody's reporting it as a significant factor. And I thought, I just thought a very interesting uh, piece of trivia almost, but that is relevant to this election. And it kind of outlines the the state that Pakistan is in. Look, it's a growing country, a population of 241 million people, a significant geopolitical player. It's a nuclear power. It recently had an exchange of missiles with Iran there. Uh, So it's kind of tentatively embroiled in the crisis in the Middle East. No friend of America. Uh, Certainly no friend of America. And and Khan himself, in his tenure as Prime Minister, uh, was adamant that that remained the case. Yes. but there is still huge poverty and across the country. And are there tensions uh, with, with India as well? Are there, there are tensions there. I suppose they share a border with yeah. India. Obviously, Pakistan created uh, after the partition of yes. India back in, I think, 1952. So there are tensions there. There are tensions along the border. India is probably, and we can speak about it in a further programme, but a much more stable democracy. Hmm. Uh, despite the fact that Narendra Modi is in power there, uh, he's seen as a Hindu nationalist leader, uh, it's very different from Pakistan in the sense that it does have a functioning democracy. Pakistan, not really. These are being described as the least credible elections of recent times. It's really effectively a runoff between two former prime ministers. So you had Imran Khan, who was in jail and obviously whose party ran his independence, and another former prime minister, Nawaz Sharif, whose party has done relatively well and looks set to form a coalition but, with a but third there's, party. There's irony here because Sharif's background as well is not unblemished, is it? No, and he's been in prison too. You know, it's yeah. a, it's almost a role reversal, so to speak. Up to a few years ago, he was imprisoned. He then came out and I suppose revived his political career just about uh, to lead his party uh, into these elections. And they have done reasonably well. Each party has fallen short of a majority, so very hard to 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 complete a full majority in these kind of elections. The the party vote is fractured. Citizens are are voting one way and the other. Uh, a coalition is the only hope of a viable government uh, existing, and it looks like Nawaz Sharif is on course to form a, co- a coalition with a third party with a man called uh, Benjamin Bhutto, who is the former who was the son of a former Prime Minister assassinated in the 1990s. So it's a very it's a very complex political map in Pakistan at the moment. The situation is very volatile there. I mean, I've been reading mm. into it in the past couple of days. A lot of disputes around polling centres, around the legitimacy of the vote, whether whether mm. the ballot's cast. Do, do I gather that the military are kind of lurking in the background? The military play a significant role in Pakistani politics in general. And they supported Khan up until a few years ago. That was one of the reasons he was in power from 2018 to 2022, that the military uh, had expressed support in Imran Khan and were willing to to lend him their support. They now seem to be gravitating slowly towards Nawaz Sharif. Uh, he seems to be their preferred candidate. So the military, significant players in, G- mm. in Pakistan's uh, political landscape. They really 
dictate the agenda to a certain extent. And what about the economy, for example? The economy is it, it's it's an it's an interesting one, Pakistan, because it has plentiful exports. It has a good export economy, but in general, I mean, the rate of poverty in the country, as demonstrated by the illiteracy rate, the number of people who simply cannot read, the education system there, it's said to have a terrible education system. Uh, and has other problems like that. So it is far from, things are far from rosy from an an economic perspective. There is a lot of trouble, a lot of turbulence there uh, that will need to be managed carefully in the years to come. And that's why it's so important. As I mentioned there, population of 241 million people, this is a huge country. Uh, and they're significant geopolitical players. They're a nuclear power, after all. Pakistan does have nuclear weapons and, you know, has reminded the world uh, of that at various times in its past. So it matters who is in charge of this country. It matters who is Prime Minister here. And it will be very interesting to see whether these coalition talks lead to the reappointment of Nawaz Sharif or whether, and there is a slight possibility that Khan might be released from prison if the courts were to overturn his rulings. Now, it's very slight. It looks like, I think myself, he, he is in prison for the, you know, for the foreseeable future. But there is, he will be hoping, a slight chance that he can resurrect his party and get back into power. You have a very interesting piece for us today about Italy's Prime Minister showing that populists need not be as scary as their uh, opponents claim. Will you fatten that out a bit for me? Yeah, she has, uh, when I say she, her name is Giorgia Maloney, the Prime Minister of Italy since October 2022. uh, One kind of in a a landslide atop the Brothers of Italy party, which she she leads. And they're a far-right grouping. They effectively had their roots in Benito Mussolini's fascist movement of the World War period. That is, uh, that was the inception of their party and they have grown and evolved since then. Maloney is said to be a long-time admirer of Mussolini. Now, she has kind of backtracked on that in recent in recent years and denied those claims. But it cannot be disputed. The Brothers of Italy are have their roots. They're a kind of a neo-fascist a fascist, party yeah. who came into power last year and... I think scared much of Europe, petrified much of Europe because immediately you had senior European Union officials worrying, could this signal Italian exit, an exit of Italy from the European Union? Will they pull out of the euro? What will their stance on migration be? Uh, and a number of other right-wing, uh, right-wing so proposals. So what have we seen so far? There? We've seen a much more moderate, much calmer and kind of... Uh, affable, generous uh, Mm. character in Georgia Maloney. She has kind of promised to work with the European Union, steadfast in her support for Ukraine. So determined to support Ukraine, has pledged plenty of military and financial assistance to help Ukraine in its war with Russia. That's despite Italy having significant ties with Russia in the past, significant economic ties. Uh, she has been... Yeah, and there was speculation that you might team up with uh, Viktor Orban as well of, of uh, Hungary, um, but that, that didn't No, pass, hasn't happened it. either, surprisingly. And Orban now finds himself slightly sidelined from a European perspective. You know, he was forced to cave in on that deal recently on aid to Ukraine. Yeah. 
the Polish government, the former, the now former Polish government, the Law and Justice Party, which would have been his main allies in Europe, another right-wing party, have now been ousted from power and Donald Tusk, the former European Council president, is in power in Poland. Georgia Maloney, for her part, in Italy, hasn't pledged support for Orbán. She's been far more willing to work with other European Union, Union leaders with the likes of Emmanuel Macron and Olaf Scholz. Uh, she has been, I think determined to work with them and determined to get the economy up and running. Now, she still has her notions. She still has fanciful ideas. She's still quite right-wing, but she hasn't pushed through controversial reforms on things such as abortion and things like that. So real because hot Because that, that was the suspicion, wasn't that it? Was that, that was the suspicion. Be, yeah. That was what many people thought. They thought Italy's constitution may be in danger here. So why such a watered-down approach then at this point? Is it to, to make the party more acceptable and make her I wonder acceptable? myself. I think it's the realities of governing. I think this is a trend that we witness across Europe in various different countries. There's a phenomenon happening in Sweden, the Sweden Democrats, another far-right party. They're not in government, but they're lending support to the government, yes. uh, to a relatively moderate government. We see in the Netherlands, Hurt Wilders is trying to to negotiate a coalition. He has become far more moderate since yes. since the Dutch elections and, and back in November. Le Pen, uh, and Marine well, Le Pen, even so. in, in France, has yes. taken a far softer stance than many would have seen possible. So I think there is a reality setting in amongst far-right leaders that in order to viably govern, in order to practically govern your country, you're going to need to take a step back and moderate your views and policies. It's all very well to shout from the opposition benches, but it is a different kettle of fish when you were in government, when you were the ones in power. Uh, and it is it is a much more difficult task to try and manage the ship of government. And George Maloney, by all accounts, has done well. The Italian economy isn't perfect, but it's doing, it's relatively stable. You know, the currency, uh, the euro currency is relatively stable as well. Uh, she's she's developed a, a reputation for being kind of a, a steady hand in Europe. Other European leaders uh, consult and kind of look up to her to a certain extent. And she's only had a very short tenure in power. So, you know, it's a good news story, I think, is a good news because we're all petrified of the rise of the far right. We see them, you know, we see the, the ramifications with Trump in the United States, even in Germany, a, a rising far right party there, the alternative for Deutschland. But there is evidence now to suggest that they are far more moderate when they get into power. And that can only be a good thing as, as far as I'm concerned. Very good indeed. Can we just look forward to, to the weeks ahead? We have to make reference to the Tucker Carlson uh, Putin interview because that was the big news, wasn't it? It was, yeah. Yeah. And I watched, I watched bits of it, and yeah. it was, it was a free for all for Putin. I mean, he he just he was allowed to let loose. Uh, Carlson let him loose, uh, and essentially said whatever he wants. It kind of degraded journalism to a certain Do extent. You think so? I think. I think now there is another argument that says, look, he's a journalist. He's an independent journalist now. He can do whatever he wants, and mm. uh, he can interview whatever he wants, and at least. He is talking to Vladimir Putin. At least he got the man talking, uh, which is something other outlets... And what what do you see the danger as? I mean, Putin in the interview, and again, I saw clips of it myself, he comes across... you know, very well. Yeah, he comes across across as reasonable and I think that is the ploy that he is trying to to play. He does come across and we forget sometimes that as 
as crazy and as maniacal as Vladimir Putin has been in the last two years, he is a deeply clever man. I mean, he's a clever political strategist. He's an intellectual man. He wouldn't have been president for Russia for the past, what, 20 years if he didn't have that deep intellect. So he is well able to defend himself. uh, But but does it not put to bed this notion that he was mentally ill, that he had physical uh, difficulties, that his health was it? I mean, he looked very healthy to me. Yeah, I guess that was one of the things we did learn, that he is, his health is solid and that he is solid, his mental capacity is solid, that he's well able uh, to stand up and fight his argument and make his point. Now, obviously, the ramifications for the war in Ukraine are that conflict is likely to drag on and there there just seems to be, yes. he, he, he didn't intimate that there was any end in sight, that there was any move towards a negotiating table. Now, Carlton, Carlson didn't really push him on yes. it as much as you might have liked. Did, did it not emerge that there was that opportunity for peace with Zelensky and Boris Johnson scuppered that in some way. Did that not emerge from the there were there were stories of that, or there were there were whispers that that was the case, and and that was evident in the interview when that actual part of the interview. But I think in general, you know, overall, Putin uh, didn't really show his hand. I think you know mm. when you look at his actions and compare them to his words. I mean, he's still launching a devastating invasion of Ukraine. He's in the midst of a devastating invasion. He mm. has showed no sign of pulling back. There is talk now of a spring offensive on the part of the Russians. Last year we had the Ukrainian offensive didn't really work out. This year mm. the danger is that Russia will go on the attack. But well, surely the big difference this year is now there is dissent in Ukraine towards Zelensky. Yeah, and the sentiment sentiment towards him. And let's remember Zelensky has just sacked his his main his general, general Valery yeah. Zaluzny, who is seen as a a competitor for that top job for that top job of president. There are even questions: Could Ukraine hold elections uh, this year or in the near future? Very hard to yes. see how they could do that. But I mean, the fact that it's and, being and considered. And just before we move off, and again, the Putin interview. In terms of the the situation in America, where already a large number of Republicans, you know, they they have their doubts about supplying money uh, to to Ukraine, will will that interview not play in? to their, their concerns. It very much will and it yeah. obviously is, is become a hugely contentious issue in the American Congress on Capitol Hill. The Republicans have effectively tied funding to Ukraine to this controversial border bill. Uh, so in order to enact certain measures around the US southern border uh, it's linked to, to money for Ukraine which, you know, they seem I mean, two concepts completely or two things are completely far apart but they've managed to link them together and this will to a certain extent play into Republicans' hands but the Republicans I don't think are doing themselves any favours. Now in the opinion polls it would suggest with American voters with Donald Trump flying high and with Biden and all that's happened Biden in the last week with his memory issues his poll ratings are you know are hitting negative again yet again it will be very interesting to see how the situation evolves. Yeah, but of course, Trump, Trump's remarks on, on, on NATO now dominating. Yeah, and now the funny the thing last night was, I think, and I, I'll, I'll be shot for saying this, I think he kind of had a point when he said that nations must meet their payment obligations in respect of NATO. I think, look, uh, encouraging Russia to attack them was ridiculous, was completely... Uh, out of order, bang out of order. But there is a point there that nations haven't committed enough spending to NATO and that America has been left with uh, an excessive financial burden. So he does have a slight point 
in that regard. Yes, but of course he he has had issues with with NATO. Yeah, on, of course, on, on, of course, all along. Um, just before we go, Northern Ireland, of course, uh, new leaders. Um, as well there. Uh, Do you know what struck me though, just from a a diplomatic point of view, um, finally they got, the the DUP decided to jump on board and and, uh, storm it up and running and then immediately Mary Lou makes a point about a united Ireland. Yeah. And I I just thought that that was a little... I thought it was premature. I mean, I think, and Michelle O'Neill made a similar point. I mean, most of us would would aspire to that but I'm just saying just, they barely got the thing back up and running again. I know, don't uh, don't unsteady the ship just as things have have come back into line. Like, I think it was slightly reckless on the part of Mary Lou on the part of Sinn Féin. And look, don't get me wrong, I like Michelle O'Neill. I I think she is, you know, she's a smart lady, she's energetic and she's definitely willing to work with with Emma Little-Pengelly. They're both two women. It's nice to see two women in a role as well. That is... Uh, that is indicative of the but, social but, but change. Some people concerned that maybe Mary Lou has has too much of a role. Uh, I think so. I think concerned. so. But it'll be very All interesting right. to see how that evolves All in right. the weeks. Great to see you as always, Thomas. Thanks, thanks, Fran. thanks very much. The news and information is coming up. Tip today with Fran Curry with Slattery's Garage. Puck on! You can't beat experience. With over fifty years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. Oh. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie